Well, good morning, everyone. Rocky's on vacation, so surprise. <laughs> Lock the doors right now. <laughs> this morning, we have gathered to worship. And I want to ask you a very simple question. Did you worship? Now, be careful. I'm not asking, did you sing? I'm not asking, did you pray? But I'm asking, did you worship? I'm not asking, were you emotionally moved during the service? <laughs> but did you worship? The truth is, there is no higher privilege that you and I have than to worship. There's no blessing that you have received greater in your week than the blessing to worship the one true God. There are many activities you participate in every day and every week, but there's no greater activity than to worship God. But what is worship? If it's not singing, praising, if it's not uh, jumping in the aisles, what is worship? Well, I want to tell you this that you'll hear throughout this message. It has to do with the heart. Some definitions that I was able to find, Merriam-Webster, of course, we always go there. A, re a definition of worship, a reverence offered a divine being or supernatural power, act of expressing such reverence. Another one said, worship is to glorify and exalt God, to show our loyalty and admiration to our Heavenly Father. The Bible Dictionary says it very simply, expressing homage to God because He is worthy of it. Maybe it would help if I would explain, to begin with, what worship is not. Worship is not the environment. It's not the smoke, the band, the organ, or lack thereof, the singers, how we rearrange the chairs. It's not the environment. Nor is it entertainment. We kind of betray that thought. And I know I've said this, and you've probably said it before too. How did you like the worship? Oh, I thought that one singer was a little pitchy. What did you think? <laughs> it is not entertainment. It is not even simply emotion. I cry every time I hear that song. Well, I cry every time the Gamecocks play football. That don't mean I worship. <laughs> and it's not simple exertion. Look, you can sing on pitch and on key and it not be worship. You can lift your hands, dance in the aisles, jump a pew, and it still may not be worship. With so many conditions on worship, there is truly only one condition that matters, and that is the condition of the heart. I want you to look at this picture behind me. This picture was taken in India. I want you to notice a few things there. One, there's no instruments. However, I have to tell you, there's probably a tambourine in there somewhere. There's no chairs. All these people are sitting on the ground. In fact, there's no building. There's no air conditioning. 
the air conditioning is the shade tree that they found to have worship. But let me ask you, do you think worship occurred in that place? See, it's the condition of the heart, not the place. Which leads me to another point. And I think this is very important. Because sometimes we get a little confused about this. Worship is not about you. The fact is, it is about the Lord Jesus Christ. That is who worship is all about. It's not whether they played the song you liked. It's about the one you are worshiping. One well-known religious leader actually said these words. Listen to this. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship Him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen? Mm, Let us just puke all at one time. This statement makes worship all about you. Makes it all about you so you can be happy. This is a distorted, self-centered view of worship, but it would be amazing how many people have this view of worship. Worship is about the one true God, God Almighty, the Holy One, the Lord of hosts. Don't make worship about you. The passage we're going to look at today is in Ecclesiastes. We've been in a series in Ecclesiastes. And Solomon, uh, in some cases, has been very depressing, to say the least. Am I right? I mean, uh, and some of the phrases that we see over and over again, you can probably finish some of these for me. Vanity of, vanity is very good for you two people who have been keeping up with the series. Also, uh, life is like chasing after the, very good. And then he talks about life. He always says he sees life under the Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 through 7, he changes. What Solomon does in this one passage, all of a sudden, he looks above the sun. And it's incredible. It's like, boom, right there in the middle of all this vanity of vanities, Solomon looks above the sun and he gives us some simple instructions about worship. Let's read the passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what th- they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God, it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words, there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. 
Now, there's going to be five simple steps we're going to have about worship, and there's going to be a wrap-up that, that Solomon gives us at the end of this passage. But the first thing we see, that if we're going to worship, and he's talking about worship here, is that we approach God properly. Do you see he said, guard your steps? That word guard could be protect, take heed to your steps. And he's not talking about watching your steps so you don't trip. He's talking about, um, like my dad used to say to me when I started getting close to the line, you know what I mean? He'd say, boy, you better watch your step. That means one more misstep and I was going to get it, right? And what he is saying here is guard your step. When you approach God, when you're coming in to worship the king of kings, you need to approach him properly. Not nonchalantly, not in a lackadaisical, not like, you know, you kick through the doors, I'm here, God. No need to say thank you. I made it 15 minutes late, but I'm here, right? You don't come like that or apathetic, you know, like I brush my teeth, I floss, I go to worship. Some people, it's like just checking off something off their checklist, nor selfishly. You don't come to worship like that either. You do not approach God like that. Like, will they sing the song that I like? Will the message be entertaining? Will Rocky be here? I hope so. <laughs> like I said, we betray that understanding when we say things like, how did you like worship? <laughs> it's not you, man. We need to be asking God, how did you like worship? Instead, we think about ourselves. You know, when the Bible gives us a peek into heaven, and you can see this in places like Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 6, the windows of heaven open and we can see, a, see worship going on. Do you notice they say many things in there in their worship? Not one of them says, you know, I really didn't like that song. Did y'all think Jesus' mic was loud? I thought it was a little loud. One of the seraphim oh, were so pitchy, I could not even worship. You don't see that. It's not there. Do you know what they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It is about Him, not them. And if you've worshipped, then you have worshipped the one true King. And it's not been about you. In Psalm 24, the question is asked, who can enter into God's presence? It says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And then he gives the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. If you're coming into the presence of God, all these things I said are true. But one thing is very important is that you come with clean hands and a pure heart. This morning, did you make sure that you came with clean hands and a pure heart? If not, you did not worship. I mean, before you enter someone else's home, what do you do? You wipe your feet. At least I hope you do. God says, when you come into my home, when you come into my presence, it needs to be clean hands, pure heart. How did you come to worship? You know, I, to be honest with you, it's easier for me for now than it used to be. Some of y'all may not know this, but I had five kids, five, a handful. And when we used to come to worship, we were talking about the circus came to town. I mean, I would be getting those kids and and. Karen, my wife, would be getting those kids, and one, you know, would spill juice on them. We'd have to change their clothes. One can't find their stinking shoes. And then one would get them right to the car and say, I got to go to the bathroom. And we know they're not going to make it all the way to church, so back to the bathroom. We're like, get in the bathroom. Go, 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 go. Get back in the car. 
Push them up. Let's go. And I'm driving down the car. Can't you get those kids ready in town? <laughs> she says to me, if you wouldn't sit on that throne in your car honking the horn and help, maybe they'd get ready on time. <laughs> no, she never said that to me. <laughs> but we go through all that, dragging those kids and putting them in there. Then we come to worship. Then sings my soul. Do you think that was worship? No. It starts at the very beginning with the approach. And the thing is, it's so simple. It's not like, you know, you have to do some great deed. The Bible says confess your sins. What happens? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all. Did you hear that word all? <laughs> all unrighteous, clean hands, pure heart. That's how we come to him. This says we draw near to God. And what's so amazing there is it says draw near there in Ecclesiastes 5. One, draw near, draw near. The fact that God, creator of the universe, wants you to draw near. And he's speaking relationally here. You see, God wants us near him. He, he wants your heart. See, that's the thing about worship. He wants your heart. You can do all the stuff, but what he wants is your heart. In fact, if you come here with other things, other idols on your heart, that does not impress God. He wants your total, complete heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And that's worship. And we have this wonderful promise in James 4, 8. Look what it says. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you take, you take just one step towards God. God, I'm sorry. I, this morning I want to come worship you. Boom. He draws near to you just like that. Why? Because he desires that relationship with you. He wants you near him. Isn't that amazing? How much does he want you near him? How much does he want that? Well, I'll tell you how much he wants it. He wants it so much that his own son had to die on the cross and shed his blood so that you could draw near to him. You had no hope. You were separated from God by an infinite distance. But God took the initiative. And God sent his son. And his son shed his blood. So now you can take a step towards him and you can draw near to him. Jesus says it like this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. See, draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. I'll come into him. I'll dine with him and he with me. What do you have to do? What do you have to do? You have to... Open the door. Open the door of your heart. Listen, you take that step. He's coming. You open that door. He's coming in. But what he will not do is he will not come to the door of your heart and kick it down. If you don't open it, he'll stay out. He'll keep knocking. He'll keep calling. But if you don't want him, he'll stay out. Jesus said it. I think in an even more intimate way in John 15, 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. Dwell in me, and I will dwell in you. That's a pretty close relationship there. It's the closest relationship we can have, abiding in one another. You know this, when Jesus died on the cross, 
in the temple, what Solomon's talking about here, there was the holy place and there was the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies, only one person once a year could go in there. But when Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, there was a veil that separated those two rooms. It was tore right in half, indicating that now you and I can go right into the holy of holies, into his presence, and worship him. And what does he want you to do when you get there? Well, look what it says. Listen. Oh, you didn't know that was going to be a part of worship, did you? <laughs> That's what it says. Listen to God. Worship is drawing near to God. But when we draw near to him, he wants us to listen. Really listen. I wonder how many wives can give testimony of this. I know my wife could. She can talk to me and just go on and on about story, and I, at the appropriate moment, when I'm supposed to do it, go, uh-huh, uh-huh. Any wives have husbands like that? Just a few, you godly people. My wife literally, now this is the truth, I am not lying, my wife literally will, do a, will be telling me a story, and in the middle of it said, blood, teeth, hair, and eyeballs, just to see if I'm listening. If I go, uh-huh, I've had it. <laughs> But how many of us do that when we come to God's presence? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And not really have our heart engaged. Well, that's what she wants for me. She wants my heart. She wants my heart engaged. That's what God wants. He wants our heart engaged. That's what we need to do. And we've got to get rid of the distractions. Everything that's going on in life, it's all there. So much of it is just to distract you from listening to him, to hearing what he has to say. Now, men, how many of you can testify to this? When your wife is talking to you and the TV is on, that's not fair. Oh, man. I mean, I will I'll be looking at her eyeball to eyeball, and that TV's on, and ne next thing I know, I'm... So it's Steve, it's a commercial. I said, baby, they pay people millions of dollars to make me do that. <laughs> Get rid of the distractions. Get to the point where you can just listen to him. Those worries, those burdens, lay them down at his feet and open your ears. Jesus said this when he had told so many of these stories, these parables. You know how he would end them? He who has ears to hear, let him. Do you have ears to hear? You get all the gunk, the earwax, the distractions, the junk that you so occupying your life. Get that out of there so you can listen to him. One thing I do know this, that is that Jesus said this, and this is true. Now listen to this. My sheep, those who follow me, hear my voice. Now I'm not talking about an audible voice. I'm talking about a still, small voice that speaks to the heart. Do you hear it? Did you hear it this morning? Then he says to us, don't offer foolish sacrifices or don't offer the sacrifice of a fool. Now, first of all, we have to understand sacrifices were a part of worship back then. A person may sacrifice a lamb for Thanksgiving or for forgiveness. And these sacrifices were important. I mean, they were important mostly because they looked forward to the coming perfect sacrifice. They were all a picture of the coming sacrifice of Jesus Christ that would happen. Uh, John the Baptist, when he introduces Jesus, how does he introduce him? Behold, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. This was, Jesus would be the perfect sacrifice. That's why he called him the Lamb of God. But anyway, they would do these sacrifices as part of the worship. But the problem is these sacrifices just became routine. For some, meaningless. In other words, just going through the motions. I think it's possible. Maybe just a few. Maybe even here. Just went through the motions. Sacrifice that doesn't have heart is a sacrifice of a fool. Sacrifice that doesn't have heart is a sacrifice of a fool. Listen to what he says. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Listen now, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Listen to me. God wants your heart. Man, he wants you. He doesn't, he doesn't care about your perfect singing voice. He don't want your possessions. He don't want your perfect attendance record. He wants your heart. And then those things will actually matter. Without the heart, sacrifice becomes foolish. Remember what I said earlier. You can sing. You can raise your hand. You can dance in the aisle. You can jump the pew. You can hang from a chandelier and play the ukulele. It don't matter. Unless it's from the heart, it is not worship. But also, <laughs> it's not worship if you go through the routine and you don't have obedience. A foolish sacrifice is sacrifice without obedience. In fact, why did Jesus say, if you love me, obey me? Worship is about loving God, and we show that love by obedience. Isaiah the prophet had a message for Israel, for Judah. From the Lord, this is what the Lord said, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me? Now, this is worship, guys. You hear me? This is worship. He, God's talking about here. He goes, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. Why did God not like their sacrifices? Well, in verse 13, he said, I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. When we come to worship with disobedience and iniquity in our hearts, God can't stand it. If we were to put this in modern terms, he says, what is this singing? What is this praying to me? I take no pleasure in it. When you live like you want to on Monday through Saturday, and the only time you look like a child of God is on Sunday morning. What's the answer then? Well, he gives us the answer, thank goodness. Wash yourselves, he says, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. What he's saying is part of worship is ceasing to do evil. Living in that sin. Just 
going along with it. Cease to do that and learn to do good, to be obedient. That's what he wants. Do you know the greatest way to tell the Lord that you love him is to obey him? That's the greatest way. You know, Saul, I'm talking about Old Testament Saul. He was the first king of Israel, right? And uh, he started out okay, but he kind of got worse in the end. And, and uh, this one time God told him to go defeat the Amalekites. And when he did, he says, I want you to destroy everything that they possess. Lambs, goats, cows, I want it all destroyed. So Saul went and defeated the Amalekites, but you know what he did. He kept some of them lambs, some of them goats, some of them cows, just the best ones, you know. And uh, so Samuel, who's the prophet, he's also the judge at that time, comes up to Saul and says, dude, why, why did you keep the sheep and the cow? Why do you still have all these things? And Saul says, uh, oh, well, we kept only the best ones to sacrifice to God. Saul was a quick thinker. He thought he had that one. But listen to Samuel's reply to Saul. He said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To heed than of the fat of rams. If you're going to worship, if you're not going to offer the sacrifice of the fool, you need to walk in obedience. And then finally, the fifth thing we see here is eliminate empty words. All the rest of those verses just about deal with words, you know? Uh, just babbling on and on, abundance of words. That's where a fool will be, where there's abundance of words. Making promises, but not keeping them. Maybe even singing songs, but not meaning them. Possible. Talking the talk, not walking the walk. I wonder some of the words that we sang this morning. I don't wonder, did we mean them? I mean, when you said this morning and you sang, you agreed to testify to the story of how Jesus changed your life. Did you mean that? You, sang, you said, my heart will sing, how great is our God. Did you sing that with your heart? You said that your love will be the compass of my heart. That, in other words, the direction I'm going will be the direction God's love. I'm walking that direction. You said you have the resurrection power of Christ in your life, do you? You sang you are the voice that calms the storms inside of me. Does he? Are there storms right now? Is your God not big enough to handle those storms? The problem with words is when there's no heart that goes with them. Isaiah proclaimed to the nation of Judah that God was going to judge them. And he gave them this message from God. Judgment was coming because of this. Then the Lord said, because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove, get, look at there, but they remove their hearts far from me. And their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. God cannot tolerate empty words.
He cannot tolerate. Look, God wants our heart. He wants us to worship him. So when he comes to this last point, or not point, when he wraps up everything that he said, he wraps up this passage, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7, the same way he, he'll, he'll wrap up the entire book we'll see later. But he wraps it up with a simple phrase, fear God. I mean, earlier he said that God's in heaven and, and you're on earth, which means God's God, you're not. We are created in the image of God, but we are not God. He is wholly other from us. He always has been. He is the only uncreated one. We are not the center of the universe, nor are we the center of worship. Worship is for God alone for him. Worship has an audience of one, and that is God. Do you know who's giving you audience to worship? Do you realize that? God Almighty has allowed you to come into his presence and worship him. To approach him, to draw near to him, to listen to him, listen to him. You get to hear his voice. Now, let me just say something. If you're checking your Facebook post right now, you're probably not hearing his voice. If right now you're texting someone saying, where do you want to go for lunch? Please, not Zoe's this time, I pray. No. <laughs> if you're doing that, you're not hearing him and you're not worshiping him. And you're not fearing him. If you take the approach to worship in a lackadaisical attitude, then you are not worshiping the king of the universe. The problem becomes our image of God and who he is. That's where the problem comes in when we don't worship him most of the time. Some of us see God like a grandfatherly figure passing out treats to his grandchildren. One for you, one for you, one for you. And the fact that they're misbehaving or sinning is no problem because he's just a good old grandfatherly guy, one who winks at sin. And if that's your God, I can promise you, you are not worshiping. If you think God exists to make your life better instead of making it holy, you are worshiping the wrong God. He is here to make your life holy, to form you into the image of Jesus Christ. He is the king of creation. Do you know by his power, he can go and pull up stinking Mount Everest by the roots and cast it into the ocean. By his power, he can build up waves that are tall as skyscrapers. And then with a word, boom, smooth as glass. His word creates out of nothing. Nothing. He speaks, and then all of a sudden it exists. By his word, galaxies are born, and suns give their light. By his word, his breath gives life. He took from the dust of the earth that he created, <laughs> formed man, created man, and then breathed into him the breath of life. That's our God. There is no one or no thing that can stand before him. What he says stands. Some of you may be thinking, well, see, that sounds like the Old Testament God, you know, the one who you know, punished and did all that stuff and, and the one that is, you know, way up there. You know, our God is, is just love. He just loves. The truth is you have an incomplete, incomplete view of God. See, God's the same one who 
in the book of Acts. What was it? Y'all heard of Ananias and Sapphira? Yeah, what happened? They lied to the Holy Spirit. What did God do? He took them. Same God. In the church of Corinth, you know what they were doing? They were having worship and a lackadaisical attitude. They were having the Lord's Supper, and it was all about them, not about Jesus Christ on the cross shedding his blood. They were coming in the Lord's Supper, like banging down the door saying, where's the wine? And God said, no, 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 we don't worship me lightly. We take me seriously. Same God. Same Lord, we see Jesus Christ. He is the judge. He said he will judge all things. He is Jesus, is the judge today. And he will be the judge who sits on the great white throne and will judge. Listen, he will judge every single soul that was born on this earth. Jesus will do that. And let me tell you this. At that time, there will be no arrogance. There will be no casualness to worship. There will be no check in Facebook at that time. There will be no snide remarks and no indifference. No jokes, but a terrible, listen, a terrible anticipation of the judgment that is to come. He is the great warrior who defeated all his enemies. And listen to this. The Bible says that the blood of his enemies will be splattered on his garments. And his wrath is unstoppable. There's no like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. No. Not before this judge. Before him, John, the Apostle John. You know the Apostle John. You fell at his feet when he saw Jesus in all his glory. Fell smack dab on his face at the feet of Jesus Christ. This was the same John who, who spoke with him, who touched him, who talked to him. The same John who had his feet washed by Jesus. Who the Bible says laid his head on his breast. This same John, when he saw Jesus in all his glory, could do nothing but fall at his feet as if he were dead. And I promise you, he'd still be there had Jesus not spoke to him and lifted him up. That is the glory of Jesus Christ. We cannot treat him as casual, nor worship as just a casual event. We consider a wedding to be pretty reverent, right? Pretty important event. I can't imagine the best man coming up to the groom during the vows and saying, hey, you think the Gamecocks will win two this year? But I wonder what conversations, in fact, have happened even in this room while we're supposed to be worshiping. The point I'm trying to get across is that if we're to fear God, if you're truly to fear God, you will need to know him. And not just the grandfatherly figure passing out treats, but the one who is the judge of all the earth. The one who's at the pronouncement of his name. This one, at the pronouncement of his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And everybody's going to do that. Every single person. Well, I did something a little bit different in my message this morning because this is so important to me. I honestly, as I was preparing, I was thinking, I don't know that just my words, my words will make the difference, even though it's preaching from the Word of God. And so <laughs> I've never done this before. 
but I actually wrote out a prayer for you. I was thinking about who would be here. I was like, God, really all what I want is for everyone to know who you really are and to worship you. Man, I know they can't worship you unless they know you. And so uh, I wrote this prayer. It's a little bit of a long prayer, but, um, but what I'd like us to do, this is completely different, but if you would just bow your head and close your eyes. And what I want to do is simply pray this prayer right now for you, for me, that God will help us to know him and to worship him properly. God, forgive us for where we have worshipped you improperly. Lord, we ask you, wipe away the sin of our disregard, of our careless attitudes, of the acceptance of any sin in our lives, and Lord, our lack of fear of you. Have mercy on us so that we will not continue any casualness in worship. Oh God, open our eyes that we may see you in all your glory. Oh, Lord, take us to the Mount of Transfiguration and there transfigure our perception of who you really are. Let us see your face shining like the sun and your garments white as light. Take us to the cross and let us see there the cost of our sin that our light regard for your glory is a sin that took your painful death to atone for. Let us feel the darkness and sense the earth trembling as the universe shook and our sins were paid for. And let us never treat lightly the privilege, the absolute privilege we have to worship you. Take us to the tomb where we see our greatest enemy defeated. Death and the grave are ancient enemies. So powerful that no man could avoid them and all fell to their touch. But let us see the resurrected Christ in all his glory declaring, I have won the victory. I have the keys to death and hell. They've been defeated and I have won. And then let us go to heaven. Oh God, let us see you high and lifted up, seated on your heavenly throne where flashes of lightning and sounds of thunder emanate. Let us hear the worship of heaven so we can replicate, replicate that here on earth. Give us eyes to see like you gave to the apostle John who saw, who saw you, the lamb, as if it were slain, taking the scroll and breaking the seals of judgment that only he could break. Let us see that. Take us to that great judgment when Jesus will be seated on a great white throne and all judgment will be given to him and he will cast Satan, death, and Hades into the lake of fire where they will burn forever and ever. And then, Lord, help us to see the new heaven, the new earth, where there is no temple, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. There's no need for the sun or the moon, for your glory has illuminated it. And Lord, help us to remember 
your final words. Yes, I am coming quickly. And oh God, let us be prepared. Let us worship you properly as you deserve. Now some of you here this morning, your heads are still bowed, eyes closed. This morning, you just simply need to ask forgiveness. Just for a lack of worship. And, and right now, just ask God to draw you into his presence. And maybe just take time to worship him. Worship him right now in the quietness of your heart. While we have this moment, worship him. Confess your sins. Be forgiven. Be cleansed and worship him. And while you're doing that, there's a group I want to talk to you about here that some of you, as I mentioned about appearing before Jesus Christ as the judge who sits on that great white throne, the one who sees into the very recesses of your heart and knows everything, everything that you've thought, said, or done, you would simply say to me, I am not ready for that. Listen, Jesus is the judge. And he is the one whose wrath cannot be stopped by anybody. That is anybody but himself. Because you see, the judge is also the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world to take away the sin of the world. That judgment throne, look, if you're not ready, if you're not sure, that judgment throne can become a mercy seat for you if you will accept his sacrifice for your sins, if you will put your faith in Jesus who died on the cross, died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead, but it's up to you. It's your decision. Look, it's your decision to make this morning. You can face his judgment and there will be nothing in that day that you can do to stop his wrath. Nothing. Or this morning you can receive his mercy. If you would like to receive his mercy, then you simply need to share that with him. From your heart to his heart, receive his gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And we do this through something called prayer. You tell him what's on your heart. This morning, I'll lead you in a prayer, but these aren't magic words. Hear me. You have to say them from your heart to God. But if you don't know that you'll be ready for that judgment day, then I want you right now this morning to pray with me. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again the third day. And at this very moment, I turn away from all my sins and I turn completely to Jesus Christ and I ask him to save my soul and I pray this in Jesus name amen